0: I am Paul Ducklin, I am a senior technologist and I'm joined today by one of our most passionate anti-phishing experts at Sophos, Peter McKenzie. Now Peter, you describe yourself as a malware specialist, is that right? Yes, malware, phishing, anything bad. To be clear you don't take malware apart for a living you actually work in our support department so you actually have the more difficult job of trying to comfort people who might be in some kind of panic or uncertainty based on what they know or don't know and things that they've done and now regret yeah talking to a variety of um, users ones that are familiar with security and ones that have never experienced an attack before Right, so uh, if it's okay with you, I plan to follow the format that we used yesterday, or at least the, a sequence of questions, where we'll just try and look at fishing from the point of view of what, how and why. So what it is, how it works, and why on earth the crooks do it, and, and we need to be resilient to it. So let me start by asking you, what do we mean when we use this word fishing with a PH? Well it covers a lot of different definitions and you can Google and you'll find a lot of different answers but we're talking about email and we're talking about some level of social engineering to trick a user into doing something. Either give up some of their data or click a link, open attachment. It is the beginning of most malware attacks. So we're not going to be discussing things like telephone scams here where the crooks actually call you up. It'll be email predominantly but it's not only email, the crooks can use other forms of instant messaging like SMS, WhatsApp. Yeah, they're all forms of, sort of social engineering. Phishing is generally associated with email, primarily. Now. A lot of people that I've spoken to recently kind of, when you talk about phishing, they think, oh, that's old school. It's all about you get this email, dear customer, big bad stuff on bank account happened, click, link, log in, and then there's a fake login page. And they kind of go, this is yesteryear's problem. I'll spot a fish a mile away. It's really easy. There's no question of this being an evolving threat. What are you talking about? Yeah, and unfortunately, that is just not true. Um, There's far too many jokes about Nigerian princes and everything like that. Phishing is the number one threat as far as malware attacks. And it isn't just about spotting a typo and a bad bit of grammar. A lot of these attacks now are very sophisticated emails, well written, they'll copy code from legitimate emails, and they will match an exact copy of an email from your bank or whoever it may be. And they'll be very believable, and you don't have to be someone that's not computer literate to fall for it. You, you might just be busy. You, you may not have had your morning coffee. These are emails designed to look like the type of emails you receive on a daily basis. What sorts of things do phishing messages invite you or urge you to do? Well, there is a huge variety. Some of the most common will say, here's a document that you need to look at maybe it's pretending to be for one of your colleagues and to view that document you need to enter your credentials maybe it's your domain credentials or maybe it's credentials for your email or something like Dropbox or something like that so that's the number sort of one most obvious thing they do getting a username and password but it could be things like bank details or anything really so sometimes it's to seduce you to go to to a login page which looks right but isn't but at other times the email might actually contain an attachment that there's some good reason why you might want to open it. Yes, so for example, um, this was a couple of months ago, Um, a user in a HR department received an email that was from someone they didn't know, but they're in HR, they expect those type of emails, and it included a CV for a job role that was currently available in that company. The CV was a legitimate, perfectly looking CV. At the bottom of it, it said, also find attached a, a document containing my recent exam results that document had macros in it that enabled a bit of malware code to run so the email was legitimate or the email was not malicious the CV was not malicious so you'd read all of that you'd been sucked in then you'd enabled macros on the malicious document so it's easy to say oh I'd spot that or I wouldn't open that if you don't work in HR but actually if that's your day-to-day job in a even even in a small business, you would routinely open CVs. And the idea here, presumably, is you open the CV, it actually looks exactly like what you'd expect in your country because the crooks have carefully ripped off somebody else's actual CV. So you're now one step detached from the idea, oh, it doesn't feel like crooks. So when they ask you to take the second step, it's a very far cry from that old school fear about, oh, something bad happened on bank account, click here, log in. Yeah, it's definitely not the same as you've won a lottery ticket or you've won a lottery prize for, you know, <laughs> when you didn't buy the ticket for it. It's very different nowadays. So what sort of things typically happen if you give away a password or if you invite in that attachment? What can that lead to? Tell us a bad story that's happened recently that indicates why this isn't just about bank, password, money goes from account, contact bank, sort out. Uh, Just yesterday, I saw a new example where uh, an organization had a user that had clicked on a link in an email, and the email had come from one of her colleagues. It said that that colleague was sharing a document over Dropbox, and you needed to click View Document to see it. Now, the link actually went to dropbox.randomletters.com. Now, the user didn't clock the fact that that wasn't a Dropbox address, really. They clicked the link, and it took you to a page that basically asked you to log in to one of your online email accounts. Despite this being Dropbox, it was asking you to sign in to Google or Yahoo or whatever. But that's not- Entirely unusual these days, is it? A right. lot of sites they use OAuth or something and they'll say log in with your Facebook account or your Twitter account. Yes. And in a way, we're encouraged to do that because Facebook's quite good at protecting passwords. And in theory, as long as it really is doing that whole background authentication via Facebook, it's a good way to do it because it means you're not sharing a password with, with yet another site. But in this case, the crooks are taking that visual appearance, something we're used to. And uh, tricking us on that basis. Yeah, and the the page looked completely legitimate They'd copy and pasted the code from the real site So it was an exact match the same login form as you'd expect for logging into your Google account uh, You'd put in your username and password you click continue on the next page They actually ask for your phone number and recovery email uh, just to extra <laughs> verify who you are Yes, and of course it's a it's a way to help them get around two-factor authentication and as soon as you do that the details are sent off to them, and in this case, the user was given a perfectly legitimate PDF just as a distraction. And the organization that had had this, um, they actually said that the user that received this email actually did think it was a bit suspicious. So she replied to her colleague. So the email was coming from a colleague, from a so real it, email account. So it didn't come from a colleague, but it came from her colleague's account. account yes, not so a there was spoof. no forging or spoofing. No, it actually came It came from her. From the account that you would expect. Yeah, so she replied to that email saying, is this real, did you mean to send this? And the colleague replied, yes. What a surprise. Yes. <laughs> and of course, they've now gone and looked at the, the filtering rules that have been added to both these users. And they can see that that original one that said the email was fine had had a load of new rules added one being anything that comes into inbox goes into a junk folder and the crook behind us was still logging into her account and was monitoring the replies so when they saw the email saying is this real they've replied yes ah so in other words stuff goes into your spam folder but most of the time you think well I'll, I'll only look at it occasionally so in this case presumably the crooks get first glance because they log in they know where to go. They go straight to the spam folder. They can then see the replies that they want you to know because other, if they went missing, you'd be suspicious. Move those back to your inbox. Exactly. And the ones, that are, the ones that are saying, hey, I think you've been hacked, they'll quietly remove, so you'll never know. Exactly. A very similar thing happened to me a few months ago when my solicitor was actually hacked in the exact same way. And I received a contract from her. I was expecting one. We were moving house at the time. However, because I suspected that it happened, I phoned her up to let her know which is a much better way of dealing with it than what this user and did. And you phoned her up using the number you knew from exactly. the source, not from something that was contained in the email. Exactly, although they were the same, but yes. Um, whereas this user suspected there was something wrong with this email, but chose the medium of email to find out. Whereas I found out that the, the two users were actually in the same office and could have just shouted over to each other. That's an often forgotten golden rule of dodgy contact, isn't it? And it works for voice calls, it works for phishing, emails, all sorts of messaging. And if somebody contacts you and you're not sure whether they're the real thing, then it's really important not to use any information they've provided to you. You're asking the con man if he's conning you. And believe it or not, they'll say, no, of course not. Exactly. And in this case... Unlike what a conventional Fisher might know will be able to answer the crooks will actually know an awful lot or just about anything about The history of that person so they're much more likely to be able to come up with a believable story aren't they yes What most people think about oh well they've got to change their password for their email but yes, but also most likely for any other accounts and especially anything that they've got an email detailing I mean we're not just talking about for emails in their inbox talking your sent folder, your deleted items for as far back as your email product allows you to archive things. The crooks will have gone in there and they will have taken everything of value as quickly as possible, possibly setting up email uh, filtering rules to say look for the word contract, look for the word bank. So not just your personal information it could be confidential business information, bank details, all that kind of stuff that you'd normally think of, but forgetting all of that, this crook now has an incredible insight into how your company works. They know who is in your IT department because you've emailed them before. They know how they respond. They know names of everyone in marketing and whoever else you speak to. They know the type of maybe case reference numbers you use internally. They know six months ago there was a problem with a payment and to fix it, you said, can you move to this account instead? So now they can send another email, probably from one of the colleagues' accounts, saying, hey, we've had this problem again. Can you make this payment at the end of the day? But to this account, it's like what happened six months ago. You remember? If it's successful, they gain even more knowledge to do an even more sophisticated attack again and again and again, maybe building up to something like CEO fraud or whaling, as it's called. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that. Whaling, which is presumably fishing where the animals you're trying to capture are much bigger and of, of... of greater worth presumably yeah this is a very special sort of fishing that has actually become one of the biggest cyber crimes isn't it where they're not they're not just trying to con a million people out of 10 bucks each they're actually carefully targeting individual companies maybe trying to get the CFO's email account So that instead of saying, hey, send me 10 bucks, they can say, hey, send me 100,000 or even a million bucks. We're doing some merger or an acquisition or something like that. Yes, they will. I mean, there's three basic types of phishing. You've got normal phishing, which is just sort of fire and forget, kind of you don't know who you're sending it to. You're just hoping people will respond. Then you've got spear phishing, which is some way targeted or tailored to the person or the organization you're, you're targeting you know maybe just um, before you go on with that that it's my there's spear phishing a lot of people think of that it's very targeted they imagine that that's state-sponsored actors or somebody who's focusing on a particular department in your company but it can be as simple as hey we know your address because we got it bought it from crooks in from an earlier breach yeah that's it's still spear phishing is yeah, it? yeah it's the difference of I bought a million email addresses I have no idea who these people are I'm going to send out the same email to all of them that's fishing or I bought hundred thousand email addresses for people in shipping companies so I'm gonna send them something related to shipping it's a bit more targeted so the whaling side of it yes my understanding is the reason it's normally called CEO or CFO fraud is that that's the that's the sort of prize account that the guys want because those are the guys who can order everyone around in the company particularly when it comes to funds transfer but it's also called business email compromise because it works best when the crooks actually have an in through an email password, because then they can do all that treachery that you mentioned before, right? Business email compromise, or Beck, BEC, is is a few different scenarios of different type of high level. So BEC of whaling are they two words for the Beck, same thing? Not exactly. BEC covers a few different things, including CEO fraud, which is often referred to as whaling. But then you've also got other types of BEC of. Um, bogus invoices where someone says hey you've missed a payment or you need to make a payment to this invoice but can we do it to this account instead of the normal one okay. or you've got someone um, they're pretending to be your lawyer and you need to make an urgent payment to settle a dispute it needs to be by the end of the day keep this quiet we don't want people finding out kind of things so. so in other words there the crooks they're not just trying to get your password today they're trying to get you to adapt some existing part of your business process that will benefit them. For example, ongoing payments yeah. until you happen to notice, yeah. because maybe the person who's supposed to get the payment suddenly phones you up and says, "Hey, you haven't paid for three months." Exactly. By which time, three months of money is run off. Yeah. And so whaling is, as you said CEO fraud, CFO fraud. It is targeted at those high-level individuals in a company, and it probably starts with the looking at the company's Facebook, LinkedIn, getting a bit of information about. The CEO, who they're going to try and impersonate, maybe waiting until they know they're out of the country or something like that. And if they've already done a phishing attack on the organisation and they know what your email signatures look like and stuff like that, they can very easily create an email, pretend it's from your CEO, put his signature in and that kind of thing, and say, "Hey, I'm out of the com- uh, out of the country at the moment. We need to make an urgent payment for whatever. These are the account details." Sends it to the CFO immediately follows it up with another email saying have you done this it needs to be urgent you know get this done today before the weekend Monday morning when the CEO is back and CFO questions him obviously he's not a clue what he's talking about Peter but before we go on to me asking you what your your hot tips are that I'm sure everyone's interested I'd like to spend just a few moments if we can talking about the issue of phishing and mobile devices like phones URLs and emails and URLs when you click on them in your browser and viewing certificates and checking up on everything it's kind of a lot harder than it is on the desktop because of that smaller screen and the crooks love to take advantage of that don't they yes I mean unfortunately a lot of people think they're just more secure on a phone as well but when you come to phishing there's no malware there's no code it's just a form or whatever and you're filling in the details so it works just as well on a phone as it does a Windows or a Mac or whatever if you're relying on spotting the obvious signs like the sender's address or the details of the link they're asking you to click on then yes it is physically a little bit more work to see that full link in uh, on an email uh, sorry on a phone so whereas you might see MasterCard.com on your email if you click on it and expand it out and scroll to the right you might see it's actually MasterCard.com dot hacker dot are you or whatever. So it's actually worthwhile as far as your phone is concerned, practicing things like revealing the full URL, even though it's much more pain than on a desktop. Unfortunately, as far as email addresses go and, and links as well to websites, the bit you read first is the least important thing. If you read from left to right, you know, you're going to read a name that obviously could be very easily fake. You're then going to read Or it could be just info at or yeah. something that's that you see all the time, yeah, unexceptionably. And then you're going to read the subdomains or whatever they put in there, and then right on the far side, that's where you're going to see the important top-level domain that this is actually coming from. You like to say there's there's a world of difference between a dash and a dot and that's not just a morse code joke is it that's really important that you can have a dash in a domain name and it's actually part of the name whereas the dot is a separator that decides when the when the top level domain like the .com or the .co.uk is turning up yes as far as links and email addresses a dot is the most important character arguably in any of them i mean explaining to your users the difference between payments.mastercard.com and payments-mastercard.com. You know, that is a basic bit of training. If you don't understand, you are going to have a real bit of trouble identifying suspicious emails. So it's it's easy to see a domain that looks okay, particularly on a mobile phone. Yeah, and they use that trick a lot. And also, I mean, the attack I was talking about earlier that happened yesterday, the phishing site they were taken to was HTTPS. And the crook had actually paid for the certificate nine dollars for a certificate is small beer when you're going after nine hundred ninety yes. nine thousand dollars in returns yeah, is and people see that padlock and they think you know secure great unfortunately that padlock really just means that the communication is secure it doesn't necessarily mean who you're communicating to is is legit which is a particular problem if the sites hacked then yes. it will actually be the HTTPS certificate for the real site it's just that the content that it's serving up securely and authentically uh, yeah. is not what's supposed yeah. to be there. and we're seeing a huge increase in HTTPS phishing sites. Peter, we have just about a couple of minutes left. So in the time remaining, uh, forget all the soft, lovely Sophos products that I'm sure you'd like to recommend mm-hmm. to our listeners. You can find out about them on Sophos.com. Things that you could do that change the culture of your organization and increase its resilience to phishing. Give us your top two or three tips that people can do today. Well, one is the one we just covered a minute ago, making users or helping users understand the importance of a dot. Let them understand (laughs) what subdomains mean, reading the right-hand side of the address. That is essential. If they don't understand that, it's really going to make it hard for them. Um, and then for the sort of the content of the emails look for does it have personal information is it saying dear Paul" or is it saying dear customer do they actually know anything about you now if they do it doesn't mean it's legit it just means they know a bit more about you but if they don't have basic information like your name or maybe account number or whatever they're contacting you for it's a bit of a warning as well in other words if they get it spot-on that could be just Good quality whaling yeah but if they make mistakes that's your advantage and you must make it all count if they don't know who you are if they're trying to talk you into doing something unreasonable yeah don't ask them because they'll tell you it's all going to be okay and if it doubt don't give it out yeah and uh, I suppose another one is the call to action what are they asking you to do Are they trying to get you to open a link provide details run an attachment whatever you know is this something you would normally expect to be doing from an email like this and would you recommend that even even a small business can do this that you create a centralized standardized email address say security at your company where people can report all sorts of security problems whether it's people tailgating into the building on the physical side or emails that they're just not sure about yes have it go to your IT department let them work out if it's fishing or not. Don't necessarily rely just on yourself and yeah, make it easy for everyone to do. Don't let curiosity get to you. To use a carpenter, carpenter's metaphor, measure twice, cut once. Yes. right. We are out of time. I'm getting the I'm getting the, the warning notice from Daniela, so I'm going to hand back to her and let's see if we have any questions. Daniela, over to you.
1: Thank you, Paul, and thank you also for that, Peter. So, we've got a question here, and the first one is What kind of phishing exercises would you use? How far do you go?
0: Good question. Um, so, we do actually have a product called Fish Threat, which is designed to train your users. You can create your own phishing campaigns, and you can track how far users get into them before they realize it's a fish, and of course, you can set it up so you know if they do fall for it instead of obviously handing in their details or whatever they're forwarded to a a training module so you can actually educate your users but you do need to be careful with doing stuff like this yourself because if you start sending out a cleverly crafted phishing campaign to your users to test them and they fall for it suddenly you've got their information on your email which means if you now get hacked you have put more people at risk so you do have to do this securely. Use a proper system for it so that any fished data is kept secure. And if the people who do, if you like, fail the test or fall for it, you need to treat them with compassion because it's not a—it's not a case as I hope we've made quite clear in the previous half an hour. It's not a case that anybody worth their salt will obviously notice a fish, and therefore a little bit of counselling goes a long way. And just coming down hard on somebody for making an innocent mistake. Is a good way to make them utterly uncooperative in the future. Yes, I mean if they keep making those innocent mistakes, then maybe. But there are yeah, <laughs> separate yeah. issues. There are people from every company, every country, every sort of technical background that have fallen for these type of things. It's not just people that have never used a computer before. So the big deal, if you're going to do, you know, experimental fishes of your own, be careful of what you collect because then you have to store it somewhere. Treat the people who don't pass the test with. The reasonable amount of compassion, and of course, this is something you only ever do with consent. So it's inside your organisation. Don't go testing other people or your chums in another company to prove how. Definitely not. Uh, Daniela, any more questions?
1: Yes, Paul. We've got one here. I saw a report that hovering over a link can cause malware. Is that true?
0: So we did a, a recent story on that. I guess it's a vulnerability in PowerPoint where if you hover over a link in PowerPoint, so just hover over, not click and it can execute PowerShell code, PowerShell script. Um, So it's not in emails directly, you actually have to have opened up the document and then hovered over the link, and then there is this big warning that pops up in front of you saying, do you want to enable this? So there's not much different from a Word document with a macro that you have to enable as well. Generally speaking, Peter's right, if you're hovering over a link in today's email clients, even if they're webmail clients, you will get a good idea of where that link goes which at least can help stop you going to sites that are obviously bogus, payment-mastercard.com, for example. But the the attack that has been most talked about most recently, as Peter said, it's PowerPoint specific. You get an attachment, you open the PowerPoint, and that's PowerPoint's designed to give this interactive experience. Daniela, anything more?
1: Yes, we have a question here from Ian. How high are hackers going towards the healthcare field compared to other fields? Protecting our medical records are crucial, and it's is there anything different that we can look, can look to get in?
0: It might have been the FBI um, that said that healthcare records uh, are worth, I think, 50 times more than your bank details. You know, as far as a crook is concerned now. So you know they would definitely be after it. But the basics still apply. It's still phishing. You've got to look for the same things. It's easy to pick on an industry sector and say oh, the crooks are going after these guys or those guys. And there's no doubt, as Peter said, that because bank account details and credit card numbers, because we're so used to the idea that crooks steal them and then we get a new credit card, they've kind of become almost valueless in the cyber criminal underground. So the crooks are going after something else. Don't let the fact that healthcare is the, if you like, the big pickings for crooks at the moment let you think that it that everything else every, all the rest of us can sort of stand down from blue alert that the crooks will still get your credit card number if they can it might be worth only 50 u.s cents instead of five or 50 us dollars but they're still going to go after as much as they can i guess the big deal with medical records is that's kind of stuff that you can't change you can't go and get a new birthday or a new medical history like you can go and get a new credit card number yes exactly Uh, Daniela, how are we doing? We have just a couple of minutes left, so if there is another question, we could just take it quickly.
1: Yes, Paul, so last one here we got from Julie. Is previewing a PDF safe in Outlook preview panel?
0: Wow, Julie, the answer is, it depends, because different browsers, Chrome, Firefox, etc., they all have different sorts of PDF previews some people may have chosen to install say an adobe plugin that does it for them and that will have perhaps one set of bugs firefox has a built-in pdf viewer that's actually written in javascript seems to have been low on the number of security bugs but it's a completely different sort of threat landscape so if you receive a pdf in an email uh then Actually, there's a, a bigger problem is usually what the crooks want to do, you to do is they don't want you to preview it in the browser They want you to save it to disk and open it and that introduces a whole nother layer of problems because you're then authorizing this local content that can do more than if It's in a browser. So again, my advice is if in doubt Don't even preview it let alone open it in a full-blown PDF viewer Yes, and remember that when you open a PDF and it says do you want to enable editing which you quite often need just to print it that's the same as enabling macros in a Word document so you've got to be careful about that as well generally in your browser previewing a PDF is going to be safer than saving it to disk and opening it but it's easy to forget which one you've done because you may be following instructions in the email if in doubt don't open it Daniela I, I I see we're on the 40 minutes past the hour so I'm going to go back to you hand back to you to finish up and thank everybody for taking part
1: Thank you both for that fabulous webinar. Thank you all for joining us for Security SOS Week Webinar Summit. At the end of the webinar, you will be served a short survey. If you could please fill this out for us. Please feel free to also leave any questions you had and we will get back to you with these answers. Thank you very much and have a great day.